Well, we're starting a new series today uh, that will take us up to Easter Sunday. And we are going to spend the next several weeks uh, looking mainly at one verse. And it's a verse, it's probably one of the most well-known, most popular verses in all of the Bible. Uh, If you're a Christian, you probably know the words of this verse, and you may have them memorized. And if you are not a Christian yet, uh, you still probably have some awareness of this verse. Even if you don't know the words of the verse, you probably know the address, the, the reference. John chapter 3, verse 16. John three sixteen, And you, you may know that reference just because it shows up in a lot of different places. In fact, I have some pictures just to show you what I'm talking about. Uh, this first one here, you can see that's from a, a broadcast of a baseball game. And you see the guy holding John 3.16 there in the back, strategically placed. Uh, then the next one is from a football game. Looks like the same guy and the same sign. I don't know. <laughs> he probably justifies uh, spending a lot on, on tickets for uh, doing the work of the Lord here. Uh, and then if you're a Tim Tebow fan, you may have seen this. Uh, but I discovered that this tradition of holding up John 3.16 at sporting events actually goes back a long, long way. You can see from this next slide. <laughs> That's not real. That's Photoshop. I just don't want it. You know, some of you are a little on the gullible side, so I just want to make sure. This next one is real, and it's my personal favorite. Um, if you go down to In-N-Out, which was uh, started by Christians, and so they have John 3.16 in the bottom of their cups. So um, why is this verse quoted so often? Why, why do Christians put it on signs and T-shirts and beverage cups? Well, it's because it's such a beautiful summary of our message. It is the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, really in one verse, which makes it very uh, makes it a simple way to, to share the good news uh, with others. Now, I, I'm not sure that holding up a sign with John 3.16 on it at a sporting event is the best way to do that. I don't know. Um, but here's the thing. If you, if you know this verse, if you know these words and you understand these words, then you can explain these words to others in a very simple way and, and share the gospel with people. That's a very good thing. So, in these weeks leading up to Easter, just as uh, if you've been around for the last several weeks, you know I've, I've challenged and encouraged all of us to be praying for people we know who don't yet know Jesus um, just as I've encouraged you to do that, I want to encourage you to do another thing here, and that is, if you have not learned this verse, if you haven't memorized this verse, to do that. And then, as we go through the series, to think about these words and, and contemplate them and to understand what they mean, so that you would be ready to share them with others. So, we're going to begin the series by saying it together in your folder. There's a note sheet that has the words on it, and Sylvia's going to put it up on the screen now. 
And so I want you, this is from the English Standard Version translation. And I'd like us just to all say it together. You ready? Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now the plan is to spend four messages on this verse, uh, focusing in on four words that are found in this verse. And the four words are perish, loved, believes, and life. And we are going to look at those words in order to consider four truths represented by those four words. And the four truths, each, each truth corresponds to one of the words. So the word perish corresponds to the truth of our desperate situation. The situation that we are in, the word loved corresponds to God's astounding intervention. The fact that God has intervened in an, in an incredible way to provide a way out of our desperate situation. The word believes, that refers to our response to what God has done. And it's a necessary response in order to benefit from God's intervention. And then the final word, life, corresponds to this utterly magnificent gift that God has provided. I want to ask you to do something else as we work our way through this. Um, I want to ask you to pray. I want to ask you to pray that God will help us grasp just how massive these truths are. These are huge. These uh, are just immense truths. You know, I think many of us could probably rattle off John 3.16 without a lot of effort. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but ever last life. Well, many of us could do that. But to really understand and to really appreciate and to really value these truths, that does take effort. It takes careful thinking. It takes prayerful consideration and let's just be honest we get we are easily or can be many of us distracted by things that are so much less important and I just want to tell you these truths matter so much more than so many other things that we get preoccupied with you know I, I these truths are so much more important than whoever wins an Oscar at the Academy Awards tonight and, and I'm not trying to just, you know, badmouth that. I'm just, that's just an example. The things that people get all interested in and excited about. And I can say without any hesitation that a thousand years from now, you are not going to care who won an Oscar. You won't care in a thousand years. You probably won't care in a couple of weeks. But I guarantee you, in a thousand years, you will care about these truths and what you do with them. So please pray with me that God would 
just awaken us to the greatness and the glory and the seriousness and the wonder of these truths, the truths of John 3.16. I want to quote uh, Pastor John Piper here because I think this, this highlights what I'm talking about, the need for prayer. He says, Oh, that God would give us a spiritual taste for the things of John 3.16. They are like spiritual honey. How do you describe honey to someone who has no taste buds? How would you even describe taste? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if someone just, you know, genetically or some birth defect was born without taste buds? How would you describe taste to them? How would you describe honey? He says the way to be persuaded that the, the sweetness of honey is real is simply to taste and see. He says, I can preach and you can tell the gospel, but only God can create spiritual taste buds. And let's pray that he'll do that. For those of us whose maybe our taste buds have gotten kind of numb or we've just we've never been awakened to the sweetness of these truths, let's pray. Will you join me? In fact, I want to pray right now. Father, these, these truths are uh, gloriously uh, wonderful. And yet, I, I confess, I get, I get numb to them. I, I fail to appreciate them like I should. And I just pray for all of us that you will just awaken our senses, uh, our understanding. Will you give us, give anyone here who lacks the spiritual taste buds they need to savor these truths, will you just do that? as we go through this. For your glory, Lord, and for our good, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first truth, the first word and the truth behind it that we're going to give our attention to is the word perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This word sums up one of the most important things anybody could ever tell you, even though nobody wants to hear it. And that is that without Christ, we are in a desperate situation. The truth is that you and I will perish if we don't put our trust in Christ to rescue us from our desperate situation. Now, nobody wants to hear this. Nobody, even those of us who believe it, don't really like thinking about it. We don't want to. It's a, it's a terrible truth. It's a terrible truth. But you know, terrible truths are some of the most important truths that we ever deal with. You know, to, use a, to, to ignore a terrible truth just because it makes you feel uncomfortable is a really foolish thing to do. You know, if, if your checking account's overdrawn and the bank sends you a letter telling you it's overdrawn and you just blow it off, that's really stupid. Uh, and that's a very minor example. I was told a terrible truth back in uh, 2001. I received the news that I'd been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's a type of cancer. Now, I didn't like hearing that. That was a terrible truth. But I'm glad I was told because then I got to get the treatment and live. And now 15 years later, I don't have cancer. So terrible truths 
need to be reckoned with because it can lead to wonderful things. So it would be foolish to just hear something and say, well, that's terrible news and I don't like that, so I'm just going to ignore it. Don't do that. This is why Jesus tells us the bad news, even though we don't want to hear it. And this is why those of us who know the good news and have believed the good news still need to tell the bad news to others, even though they don't want to hear it. Because here's the thing. The good news isn't really all that good if the bad news isn't really all that bad. We just won't appreciate how good the good news is until we appreciate how bad the bad news is. Okay? So, I want to help us appreciate how bad the bad news is. And so I'm going to ask three questions about perishing. First, what does it mean? Second, why will we perish? And third, how does it help to hear this terrible news? Okay, first question, what does it mean to perish? The Bible says that God gave his only son so that those who believe in him, those who trust in him, will not perish. Which means that those who do not trust in him do perish. What does that mean? Let me give you four things the Bible says about perishing, what perishing means. First, perishing means being condemned by God. Perishing means being condemned by God. Look at the, uh, the next two verses in John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Hear them carefully. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That was not the mission of the Son when He came into the world, was to condemn. But in order that the world might be saved through Him, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So you see here, perishing is not simply dying. It's being condemned by God. And what does that mean? What it means to be condemned is it means that God, the absolutely perfect, righteous, impartial judge, determines that you are guilty of evil and he executes his perfect justice against you. That's what it means to be condemned. And what all of these verses are telling us is that unless we experience Jesus rescuing us from this perfect justice, we are all already under an eternal death sentence, which has yet to be executed against us. Just a few verses later comes the most sobering verse in this whole book. John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, it's an interesting parallel, believing and obeying, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And don't misunderstand. That word wrath, that's not talking about God having a temper tantrum. That's talking about his absolutely settled, perfect, unwavering, unchangeable opposition to evil. 
God cannot be okay with evil. You know, sometimes people misunderstand the word grace and think that grace is somehow a lowering of God's standards. You know, he used to be really uptight about these things, but now because of grace, he's eased up. No, no, no. There's no change in the standard. What grace means is though the standard has remained the same, God enables us to meet the standard in a different way through the merit of someone else. Through the merits of Jesus. God sent his son, God in his love sent his son to rescue us from his own perfect justice because he cannot be unjust. And if we refuse the son we remain under the justice of God, the wrath of God. That is a terrifying place to be. Because, second thing perishing means, is perishing means misery. Perishing means misery. Look at 2 Thessalonians 1.7. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, and this is referring to Christ's coming again, which he promised to do, here is justice executed in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Don't misunderstand. That's not two different groups of people, those who don't know God and those who don't obey the gospel. It's the same group. It's all one. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So perishing does not mean passing out of existence. It is continuing to exist and suffering in hell. And this suffering is consistently described by Jesus and others in the harshest terms imaginable. Words like fire and utter darkness. And sometimes people ask, well, is it talking about actual literal fire? Because you can't have fire and darkness at the same time. It must be something spiritual. Well, okay. I don't know. But whatever it is, whatever the actual reality of hell is, it's so bad that Jesus used the harshest possible terms to describe it he said this in mark nine forty seven: if your eye causes you to sin tear it out it's better for you to enter the kingdom of god with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched now jesus is speaking in very absolute stark terms here and we know we know that to pluck out your eye is not going to solve anything but he is saying that's the seriousness with which to take this issue. That's how serious to think about this. Undying worm, unquenchable fire. You know, I, I just, I have to confess, there have been times when I have joked about hell. I don't ever want to do that again. Hell is not funny. There is nothing funny about hell you see little cartoons little far side cartoons and the devil holding a pitchfork and people in hell complaining about the plates being hot all that's doing is desensitizing us to the reality of what it is it's not funny 
Perishing means misery. Third, perishing means separation from God's glory. The last part there of 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Now, this is in the elaboration of that, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So here, here now we have the reason why the suffering is described in such stark terms and why it's so awful. Because what it's really talking about is this, this separation from the presence of God and all of his goodness. The only aspect of God's goodness that people experience in hell is his absolute justice. And here in this world, in this life, we experience just thousands, thousands of glimpses of God's goodness every day if we would just see them. You know, did you see daffodils on your way in today? The trees are budding out and the birds are singing and you're here and you're comfortable and you've got people around you that smile at you and we sing and we listen to beautiful music and we can sing songs and, and there's just so much, so much goodness that we experience every day. We don't always appreciate it. We seldom appreciate all of it. But it's there. In hell, it's not there. None of it's there. To be separated forever from what is good. I, it's, it's unfathomable. I can't even grasp it. Fourth, perishing is everlasting and irreversible. Uh, you saw there in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it talks about eternal destruction here. Uh, well, we see in John 3.16, perishing is the opposite of eternal life. Matthew 25.46, Jesus calls it eternal punishment. So perishing is eternal and it's irreversible. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what else I can say to describe this to make it sound as bad as it really is. Words just feel inadequate. So to review, perishing means condemnation, it means misery, it means separation from God, and it lasts forever. See, why are you telling us this? I'm telling you this for one reason. One reason. So that you will flee from this justice of God and flee to the love of God through the door of Jesus Christ. Flee from the justice of God to the love of God. It is at the cross of Christ that the love of God and His justice come to terms. And there only. That makes this moment very awesome. Do you realize that because of this moment, there's no one in this room who will be able to stand before Jesus and say, I didn't know. I didn't know. No, nobody ever told me what was at stake. And he'll look you in the face and say, that's not true. Because on February 28th, 2016, I appointed you to hear what was at stake. And you did. Perishing 
That's what perishing is. Okay, but, but why? Why will we perish if we don't trust Christ? Why? Well, the short answer, of course, would be like Romans 3.23 that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody here. There's not a person in this room that hasn't sinned. Okay, we know that. Maybe we know that. We need to know that. All have sinned. In fact, as we were singing that song earlier, everybody needs forgiveness. And I was wondering, I wonder if there's anybody here who really doesn't think that. Oh, we might think, well, yeah, I need yeah, I need forgiveness because I'm not always nice. I know I'm not perfect, but I mean forgiveness. Like, I'll go to hell if God doesn't forgive me. Why is sin so serious? Why, why, is, why does it deserve perishing? Let's be honest. Most people feel like the punishment is out of proportion to the crime. Right? Sin, what's the big deal? I mean, perishing? That seems out of proportion. That'd be like if we took, uh, you know, shoplifters out and shot them in the head. Oh, he stole a candy bar. That's it, death. I mean, it's just, you know, why would God pour out eternal wrath on somebody just because they don't believe in Christ? Here's the thing. When we ask the question like that, we're already in trouble because we are minimizing the seriousness of the fence. We're minimizing the seriousness of sin, to say it like that. Jesus said, Jesus came, Jesus revealed God, and he said to those who rejected him, in spite of all his miracles, in spite of all of his teaching, in spite of all the goodness of God that he displayed, Jesus said that what they were really doing was they were hating him, and the reason they, and because they hated him, they actually hated God. Said in John 15, 23, whoever hates me hates my father also, because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. It is nonsense to say, I, re- I just don't accept Jesus, but I do believe in God. That's nonsense. You can't say that. Because Jesus is who God is. Jesus reveals who God is. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what God is like. And if you say no to me, you reject me, you reject the one who sent me. So you've got to understand, we're not talking about an innocent misunderstanding here. We're talking about rejecting God in spite of all the nice religious things we might want to say about him. And we, re, we just... And the reason we do this is because we want to be God of our lives. We want to decide for ourselves what's good, what's evil, what's right, what's wrong. We want to make up our own minds about these things. And so we basically tell God, you can just go get lost. I'll be God. Oh yeah, okay, I'll give you some nice words maybe once in a while. But God basically get lost. And that's why, that's why sin is so serious. So to quote Piper again, God is the most worthy person in the universe. His greatness and His value are infinite. See, 
every, every good thing you've ever seen or experienced is just the, gl- the dimmest glimmer of God's goodness. It's a reflection of him. You realize if God doesn't exist, then there is no good. There is no evil. There's nothing. It's all just molecules banging into each other. His value is infinite. All things are measured by him. He is the beginning and the ending of all things. Every person is dependent on him for everything, whether we admit it or not. We owe him perfect trust and allegiance and love and worship and honor and respect and obedience because he made us and he owns us and he sustains us. Therefore, rejecting him, distrusting him, disobeying him, loving other things more than him, these are all infinite insults. And an infinite, because he is an infinite treasure. He's an infinite treasure. And an infinite insult deserves an infinite punishment. Think about it like this. The more excellent a person is, The more excellent a person is, the more despicable it would would be to go up and spit into their face. That's what we've all done. We've spit in God's face. And we abuse His image in humanity. Every time we treat someone with hatred, unkindness, indifference, We're abusing the very image of God. There's only one reason why people ever think that the punishment of perishing doesn't fit the crime of sin is because we don't realize how good God is and how awful sin is. We just don't get it. If the if the crime punishment feels out of proportion to the crime, it's because we have no real grasp of how awful the crime really is. So how does it help us to hear this terrible news? Well, three ways, quickly. Helps us three ways. First, if we haven't yet put our trust in Christ, and there may well be some of you here right now who haven't yet done that. If you haven't yet put your trust in Christ, this is to help you realize how desperate your situation is and how astounding God's provision is to rescue you This could lead you to repentance and trust in Christ. That's what it's meant to do. He is our only hope. If we will take this to heart, it drives us to repentance and to faith. Second, if you're here and you have put your trust in Christ, knowing this, knowing our desperate situation apart from Christ, helps us appreciate how amazing His grace is and causes our hearts to overflow in greater gratitude and worship and third it compels those of us who know the gospel to share the gospel with those who are still in danger of perishing that's how it helps us now i have time to elaborate on just the first one of those leading us to repentance and faith and i'm going to do it from personal experience tell you a little bit of my story if you haven't heard it As long as I can remember growing up, I always believed in God. I can't remember a time as a kid when I didn't believe in God. But my belief in God was always purely mental. 
And I say that because my believing in God made absolutely no difference in how I lived my life. Didn't make any difference. But I believed in God. And I figured that's good enough because I was a good kid. I really was. You'd have loved being my parent. I was obedient. I was cooperative. I was great in school. And, you know, I never did those horrible things that other people did. I never stole anything. I never killed anybody. That's always, you know, that's always the bottom line, right? But when I was a freshman in high school, a friend of mine invited me to a concert. And there, for the first time, I heard the bad news. Speaker told me I was perishing because of my sin against God and against his perfect standard of love. And that's when I first became aware that I was not a good kid. I was a self-absorbed, self-centered, self-directed, self-glorifying rebel who had spurned God in countless ways and who had many times treated people made in his image with contempt and even cruelty. And I knew. I knew an MO. It's like God just pulled the curtain across and I was standing there completely exposed before God. I knew. I knew I was guilty and I knew I deserved to be in hell that very moment separated from God forever. And that's when the speaker told me the good news about a Savior who came to rescue me from my desperate situation, who came to absorb God's justice in Himself so that I wouldn't have to. He took the wrath of God for my sin. And by God's grace, I believed and I received His pardon. His forgiveness. His gift of eternal life. His gift of Himself. But until I heard the bad news, the good news meant nothing to me. It had no attraction for me. It had no relevance to me. It's just like what John Newton wrote in his famous hymn. We sing it all the time, Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote this, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Do you realize if you fear the judgment of God, that's grace? Let that grace move you from fearing his justice to receiving his pardon. Because maybe today, my prayer is that if there's anyone here today who has never had their heart gripped by the bad news, that today that's happening to you. And you realize you do deserve hell apart from God's incredible, amazing intervention in Christ. And I just want to 
say to you today, if you're feeling it, if you're aware of your sin and you know you need rescuing, there is a rescuer. And he is completely sufficient to rescue you. You might think, well, I'm too bad. No, 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 no. No, there's nobody too bad because it's not about how far we've fallen. It's about how awesome Jesus is. How perfect his righteousness is that he offers to you freely. He just says, here, you want it? Well, admit you need it and come and get it. And take it and you can have it. Receive me. Let's bow and let's pray. And I just want to say that. Scripture tells us, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. If today you want to say yes to Jesus, then tell him. I'm just going to give us a quiet moment. And those of us who know this bad news and know the good news, that we will ask God to help us share it. And may it lead all of us to worship Him. So bow and pray, and you in the quietness of your heart, you deal. Go before the Lord. He is waiting for you to come to Him. Father, you know I would rather preach on happier things. You know I'd rather talk about things that make us smile. This isn't one of those things. This is an awful truth, and yet you've told us this awful truth by your grace to save us, Lord. So help us take it for what it is. Help us hear it. Help us believe it. And Lord, may it just drive us to you. And find in you all of the love and the acceptance and the delight that we keep trying to find in other things. Lord, forgive us for how we've dishonored you. Help us come to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.